Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Welcome to Doctor's Kitchen Snack Size. Snack Size snippets from the main podcast, all about food, medicine, lifestyle, and how to improve your health today. Today's Snack Size Doctor's Kitchen podcast is all about motivation and the power of a positive mental mindset. It is perfect for a Friday. I hope listening to this snippet from my conversation with the inspirational Ed Jackson on episode 112 is the pep in your step you need to supercharge your day. Ed Jackson broke his neck and suffered a spinal cord injury, which left him paralyzed from the neck down. Doctors said that he would never walk again, but through sheer determination and intensive rehab, Ed reached the summit of mountains within a year of his operation, a feat that not even the most optimistic of medical professionals could have ever imagined. I really hope this snack size gives you a glimpse into Ed's attitude to consistently challenging both himself mentally and physically and his ability to reframe even in the most difficult of situations. We can all learn something from Ed that we can apply to our day-to-day. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wiggling toes doesn't mean you're going to be walking again. Yeah, a lot of people in wheelchairs, and I know a lot of people in wheelchairs now, you know, can stand up and can even take a few steps, but they need the wheelchair to get around. So it wasn't like I was out of the woods, but there was some hope. Um, And actually, when I moved to the RUH in Bath, I met a physio who features quite heavily in my book called Pete, who was the head neurophysio there, crazy looking little Italian guy. And I'd heard rumours of Pete in the intensive care unit, how much of a legend he was and how experienced he was. And I had this image in my mind of what Pete would look like, you know, and then he came around the corner and I I nearly asked him, you know, he had like full Puma tracksuit on. He was like nearly 60. Um, I nearly asked him like, hi, mate, do you know where Pete is? I need to speak. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, yeah, that's me. And he ended up being the next person after the paramedics, after Neil Brewer, who who um, was the surgeon, Pete was the next, the next key in the cog that, that really put pushed me forward. And 
he did that, um, not just through his technical ability. You know, some of the best physios I've worked with, I've been lucky to work with some great physios in hospital and since I've left hospital. They just have a knack for it. And I think with neuro, it's kind of, you know, you've got to be a bit of a Jedi to be a really good neurophysio. They have a feel for it because obviously your neurology, neurology is very different. You know, a really good musculoskeletal physio, there's a pro, they're very knowledgeable. There's a process they go through. Um, but it, with neuro and long-term rehab and life-changing injuries, a lot of it's mental um, and they almost have to be psychologists at the same time. Um, and Pete said to me straight away, he said, we'll get you back on your feet. And he since admitted to me that he didn't actually believe that, <laughs> but wow. judge, judging by my scan results, but he knew that if I didn't believe it, then it would never happen. And up until that point, I'd been told I was never going to walk again. So that mindset change made a big difference. And I think if he was towing the party line, he probably shouldn't have said that to me. But, mm. you know, he had been around the block enough times to to know that the importance of having my head in the right place and then we he he used to be in the army and we sort of kicked off with he knew that I just wanted to get going i think it was in in me as like um as a sports person that i just wanted to have something to do and to feel like i was recovering and pushing myself so he'd like leave things in the room for me like broom handles and be like do 400 reps of that and he knew that i'd try and do 500 and he yeah. was very good at managing me emotionally so the next 4 weeks he actually got me from um, flat on my back with a wiggling foot to the day before I went to Salisbury Spinal Unit, they managed to stand me up, which I prob was probably too early to stand me up. You know, you have these things called tilt tables and the sorting out your blood pressure and so you don't pass out and all of these sorts of things. But they knew he knew that the way the protocols were, that if I'd gone to Salisbury, having not stood up yet after six weeks, I would have gone to, uh, the I would have gone on there um, sort of pathway to leaving hospital in a wheelchair so they would have just got me better at you know managing myself and being independent but he knew that if I'd stood up once before I went and that was in my notes then they they were obliged to get me on the stand back to standing protocol so that was the other way he really helped me out and then I ended up going to to Salisbury Spinal Unit and I would say throughout this whole process um as I've said, like the NHS is incredible. It saved my life. All of these amazing people who are, who are still friends of mine, some I still work with, but resources are obviously really tight and especially in long-term rehab. So they can, I did, if I was in a private clinic in America or whatever, then it would have been sort of seven or eight hours of input a day, you know, but it was three or four hours of input a week, you know, cause that's all that could be supplied. But Pete was willing to, I, he realised I had a room full of rugby players or my wife or family every day and he would train them to do bits of rehab with me. So I was getting that extra input, which made a huge difference to my recovery in, in the long run and, and um, which isn't necessarily by the book, you know, having people who aren't professionals touching you when you, you know, you've just had a spinal cord injury, but he knew that that was the only way he saw a glimpse, a chance. Um, and he was willing to bend the rules, I think, to, to help me realize that. And I went off and then I went to Salisbury Spinal Unit, met another amazing physio called Kim. And all of a sudden was around a lot of other people with spinal cord injuries. Cause up to that point, I'd kind of been in a side room on a neuro ward, um, and I'd felt a bit isolated or it was still just a bit of, I was in a bubble, but then I was surrounded, all of a sudden I was surrounded by 40 other people with spinal cord injuries. And I realized 
two things straight away. First one was it wasn't just full of like extreme sports athletes and bullfighters and the kind of people you'd expect to get spinal cord injuries. It was a complete cross section of society, which at first I was quite disappointed about because I was looking forward to meeting a load of X Games athletes. But um, you realise that these things just happen. You know, a lot of them were medical complications or tumours or you know very benign ways to get spinal cord injury. But also, you know, there was um, all ages, men, women all religions, races, it didn't matter. And and that made me realise that these spinal cord injuries can happen to anyone and there's no fault involved. There was a lot of good people in there that bad, bad things had happened to. So that helped me start removing some of the blame from myself. And I think to that point, I was carrying a bit of blame. I felt guilty for making a mistake like that. But then spending time with other people and hearing how they had had their accidents, you know, I became very good friends with a guy called Rick who just picked up his toddler and a disc in the bottom of his back blew out and now he's in a wheelchair, you know, for the rest of his life. You know, that simple, you know, and um, that helped me start removing some of the blame. And then the next big realisation was, even though I was in a bad place, you know, I wasn't walking by that point, you know, I'd stood once, but that didn't mean I was out of a wheelchair. I was improving, you know, I was moving, I I was getting that little bit of movement every day, not every day, but um, most days I was moving in the right direction. And also I was a lot better off than some other people, you know, they were on, had permanent trackies in, they couldn't breathe for themselves. Um, And I started feeling, you know, lucky about my situation. I started being fortunate about the position I was in rather than feeling unlucky about the position I was in. You know, I started feeling grateful that I wasn't still on the bottom of that at the swimming pool you know I could have quite easily died I started feeling grateful that my dad was there to immobilize me after knowing to hold me still after the accident because a lot of the damage caused in spinal cord injury is actually done in the handling after the accident you know if it was just my friends they probably would have just dragged me out of the water and rightfully so you wouldn't expect them to do anything else but it could have been a different story and the fact that I was improving um, I realized you know you've got no you've got no right to complain to feel sorry for yourself anymore, look around you, you're really lucky to be in the position you are and, and have some hope to to improve for the future. And and that mindset change, um, feeling lucky about my situation rather than unlucky about it, my body started reacting and I just kicked on massively. And after six weeks in the spinal unit, so three and a half months in total from the accident, I left in a wheelchair, but I had taken my first few steps by that point um, using um foot splints and and parallel bars and stuff but i was on the roads to being a to being a walker again and and that was something that just three and a half months previously was i'd been told was was never going to be a possibility so um yeah it was it it was starting to turn from a horror story into one of hope and, and positivity um and after another four or five months of rehab I decided I wanted to do something to to raise money for the charities that supported me since I'd left, but also give myself a goal and a target. You know, we spoke about shoulder injuries before with rugby and you'd go, right, you'd lit, you could go in the diary, right, shoulder reconstruction, nine months, that's how long rehab takes, that's the game, you know, so I'm going to aim for that. And you had something to aim for. But for this, it was just endless. It was like, we don't know how far you're going to get. You're going to be rehabbing for the rest of your life. Good luck. So I needed to put a challenge in place for myself. So I told Pete, um, physio, that I wanted to climb Snowden uh, on the year mark. And he thought I meant two year mark. 
because I was still using a wheelchair after nine months. Um, so I had three months. I said no on the one year mark, set myself the challenge and and he thought I was mad. But I said, Look, I'm going to go for it. If you want to join me, you can. So obviously they had no choice but to come with me. And I opened it up to anyone so, else. So at, at nine months, you were in a wheelchair. And how many steps were you taking at this point? Um, I was walking in rehab. So a lot like with a... Uh, with poles or in parallel bars. Oh, okay. So okay. I'd probably, so I was using a wheelchair day to day to get around, um, but I'd probably walked up to sort of, I don't know, uh, a few hundred meters um, in one wow. go. I hope you enjoyed today's Doctor's Kitchen snack size. Remember, you can find the full length episodes on the Doctor's Kitchen website at thedoctorskitchen.com. I'm Dr. Rupi. I will see you here next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.